Keep your Bibles open to 3 John. We will be in 3 John this week and next week. If you're a child in here, let me encourage you to count three different words this morning. See how many times I say it. Count the word truth, love, and testimony. Okay? And so we can compare notes afterwards and see if you got the right number. If you're counting, I've already said it three times, or one time. Truth, love, testimony. Now I've said it twice. Truth, love, and testimony. The prophet of God walked down the dusty road on his way to the next place that God had called him. The sun relentlessly beat down on his head. His mouth was dry with dust. His stomach knotted with hunger. But he pressed on. And as he walked, he prayed that God would provide for his needs so that he could have a place to sleep and food to eat. This prophet's name was Elisha. And he served God full time as a prophet in Israel. And 2 Kings chapter 4 record, records a time that he was walking down an international road through the Jezreel Valley, past a city called Shunem. And Shunem was a small city, but a place that strangers would often visit to find food and rest. And so one day, Elisha the prophet walked into this city, and there was a woman. And this woman cried out to Elisha, and she said, Prophet of God, come to my house, eat with me and my husband. Elisha accepted the invitation. He sat down, and I'm sure he had a delicious Middle Eastern meal. And after the meal, the woman talked to her husband, and I can imagine they went outside and had a private conversation, and she said to him, this man is a holy prophet of God who travels on this busy road many times throughout the year, let's, let's build an addition onto our house. Let's buy some furniture. And, and that way, whenever he's traveling down this road, he can stop at our house and have a place to sleep and, and food to eat. And so that's exactly what they did. They built a prophet's room. You might have heard of people or churches that have something called a prophet's chamber where pastors or missionaries or other people like that might stay. Well, that's where that idea comes from. It comes from 2 Kings chapter 4, from this Shunammite woman who supported the work of God in Israel through her support of the prophet Elisha. And the and the Bible teaches in 3 John here that when you support, when you partner with ministry gospel workers like, like Elisha and the Shunammite woman did with Elisha, you're partnering 
with God in that ministry. It's like when you support people like that, people who are going out as missionaries or church planters are going out with the gospel, when you support them, it's like you are going with them. A Shunammite woman partnered with Elisha by giving and supporting him with hospitality, and she had a good testimony as a gospel ministry partner. And so we're in 3 John today, and in 3 John, we're going to see that God wants us to consider our testimony of partnering in ministry. Now, I, don't, I don't have a PowerPoint today, so I'll try to repeat some of my points, but a testimony is a witness. Your testimony is what your life truly says about you. And so the question this morning is, what does your life testify about your partnership with ministry? What does your life testify about your heart and your hospitality? And those are really the two targets this morning of this text. It's your heart, it's your walk with God, and it's your hospitality, it's your work for God. God's desire for each one of us is that we would have a testimony as ones who are gospel partners. Here's a gospel partner. Here's a definition if you want to write it down. A gospel partner is one who walks with God in the truth, and works for God by supporting the truth. A gospel partner is one who walks with God in the truth and works for God by supporting the truth. And that is to be, to be the testimony of each one of us in the church. We are all called to be gospel partners. God sends gospel workers, but he also needs those who can support them, and those are gospel partners. So this is what I believe this text is about today, and that is that God wants us to have a testimony of a gospel partner, which means you must walk with God in truth and work for God by supporting the truth. Look in verse 8. 3 John chapter 1. It's only one chapter. Look at verse 8. Jorge read this text for us this morning, but notice the end, the conclusion of our support for gospel workers. It says, we are fellow workers for the truth. Every one of us from the youngest in here to the oldest in here are called by God to partner in the gospel ministry. The Christian life is not just a ticket to heaven. No, it's a daily walk with God, and it's daily working for God. And in 3 John here, we have three testimonies, three good testimonies of believers partnering in the gospel. And there's one evil testimony, a bad testimony of someone who undermined the gospel. And the first testimony is of John 
the apostle. You can see that in verse 1. Look at 3 John 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. 3 John was written by the apostle John about 60 years after Christ's ascension. So that was around probably 85 to 95 AD. By the time this letter was written, the Apostle John was probably in his 80s, and he was probably one of the last apostles alive, if not the last one alive. In verse 1, notice he calls himself the elder. That could refer to his age, or it could refer refer to his position as the last apostle, and therefore he still had this spiritual oversight of churches. Either way, I want you to notice something about John the apostle, and that is that he had a testimony of serving Christ and his church even into retirement. You see that? Do you see his testimony there of one who's the elder? Yes, he had a position of authority, but he was in his 80s. This was the time where he should go get the the coastal home, right? And just kick back and relax, but not the Apostle John. I think this is a good testimony for those of you in here that are around that age, around retirement. There's no such thing as retiring from Christ and from his church. We don't do that until the final day of rest when we die or Christ comes back. Think about my grandpa. My grandpa is in his late 90s now, so he retired a long time ago. My grandpa, though, was, was and I think continues to be, a, a huge blessing to his church in Indiana. He, he would often go around and visit those who had visited the church He would go to their door and talk to them about Christ. He led so many people to Christ in his age of retirement. So he didn't retire from life. He retired from farming, although he still likes to get in the truck or the tractor and still do that. But but he did not retire from serving the Lord. And he had a good testimony. And the next testimony we see is that of Gaius. Gaius was the one this letter was addressed to. And as with the other New Testament letters, they were written to a church or to an individual, and then they were passed along to other churches to read and to be encouraged by. And the purpose of this letter was to commend Gaius for his testimony of being a faithful gospel partner. Gaius saw a need. He saw a need to help gospel workers, so he took them in, he housed them, he fed them, he, he prayed over them. He sent them on their way with financial support. And 3 John here is the counterbalance really for 2 John. Because in 2 John, the apostle John warns the church not to have hospitality to false teachers. But then in 3 John, he commends Gaius and, and really commands the church to open their arms of love to those who are gospel teachers. In 3 John, the Apostle John calls us to follow the good testimony of gospel partners, and it's pretty easy to outline this book. If you look at 3 John, verses 1 through 8, we are told of the good testimony of Gaius. In verses 9 and 10, we have Diotrephes, 
who has an evil testimony because he causes disunity. And then in verse 12, Demetrius was honored for his good testimony. And then in verses 13 through 15 is the conclusion of the letter. Now, did you notice I left something out? I left out verse 11. The reason is because verse 11 is the key, really, to this entire letter. If the, if the teaching of 3 John was a package, verse 11 would be the ribbon that tied it all together. And so it's important to understand verse 11 before we get into the rest of the text of Scripture here. John is examining the lives of three men, and what he does in verse 11, he concludes by saying, here are good examples to follow of those partnering with gospel ministry, and here is an evil example that we are not to imitate. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 has the only command that we find in this entire letter, beloved, do not imitate evil. Well, who was evil in this letter? We'll see this next week, and it's Diotrephes. But imitate good, and who was good? It's Gaius and Demetrius and also the apostle John. And notice he says, whoever does good is from God. Remember, this good is hospitality. It's, it's partnering in gospel ministry with those who are teaching and preaching the gospel. So whoever does good is from God. And I want you to notice something. We're going to pause here and kind of focus on this because this is going to help us through the rest of the book today and then into next week. And this idea of does good, it's really made up of two Greek words. It's agatha, which means good. And then it's also poieo, which means to do, to, to work. It's your actions. It's what you do on a regular daily basis. He says, you, your regular work, your, your daily life should be that of doing good for Christ and for his church. And notice, whoever does good is from what? From God. From God carries the idea that you are living in relationship with God. So John commands, John's command here is not to show hospitality by just trying to be a better person or trying to be a more loving person but it's rooted in depending upon God. It's in our relationship with God. It's 1 John 4, 7. Remember, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. Well, where does that come from? For love is from God. God is the source of love. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you're born again, if God has showed his love to you and you've received his love and you've trusted in his son, then you will love. It's your nature. But anyone who does not love, he says in 1 John 4, 8, does not know God because God is love. If you don't love people, it's because there's something wrong with your heart. In fact, look at verse 11 in 3 John. That's what he says. Whoever does evil... And the idea is, is kaka, which is evil, and then poieo, which is do. So you do evil, has not seen God. And the idea here is not that you haven't seen God face to face, but it's a metaphor for fellowship with God. It's like the idea of when you talk with a friend, you see them face to face. And so if you do evil, it means you don't have a relationship with God. So if you don't love God's people, he's saying here, then you don't love God. And so here, 
he's telling us to consider our lives, to put our lives up on the witness stand, and to recognize that what you do testifies to who you are. If you love people, or I should say if you love God, then you will love God's people. And if you don't love God's people, it reveals that you don't truly love God. So what is your testimony in regard to your heart and your hospitality? And so we're going to look at both of those, your your heart and your hospitality, your walk with God and your work for God. So our first point is to have a testimony of a gospel partner. Number one, you must walk with God in truth. To have a testimony as a gospel partner, you must walk with God in truth. Look at verse one. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. The apostle John expressed his Christian love for Gaius. And in doing so, he introduced two very important words. What are those words? It's love and it's truth. If you're a kid and you're making notes right now, counting that, you're going to get a lot of love and truth here today. Seven times in 3 John, the apostle used the word truth. Six times in this letter, the apostle used a form of the word love. Truth and love are inseparable. They go together. It's like a horse and carriage, or as the old song said, it's like love and marriage, right? I mean, you can't separate them. We're not just a a church of truth. We're a church of truth and love. We're not just a church of love. We're a church of love and truth. It goes together. The apostle John said he loved Gaius. This is agape love. This is the kind of love God has for us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world he gave. And so the apostle John here has this giving, sacrificial love. God loved John, and so John loved Gaius, and Gaius loved God's people, and that's how it works. Notice how he responds to Gaius because of this love. He responds by praying for him. Look at verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Some have speculated that Gaius was sick, and so the apostle John was praying for his health. And it could be the case, but either way, notice how the apostle John prayed for Gaius. He prayed his body, his body would be as healthy as his soul. Think about that. He prayed that his body would be as healthy as his soul, which means what? It means his soul was healthy because he was hoping his body would be as healthy as his soul. That was his prayer to God. This means then that Gaius' soul was spiritually healthy. He had a joyful, grace-filled, God-glorifying relationship with Jesus Christ. 
So the Apostle John said, I pray to the degree that your soul is healthy, your body would be healthy. Now let me ask you this question. What if I prayed that for all of us in this room here today, and God were to immediately answer that prayer? I pray that your body is as healthy as your soul. To the degree that your soul is healthy, your body will be healthy. What would happen in this room? Could it be that some people, and I'm serious about this, could it be some people drop over dead? Right, because because your soul is spiritually dead. In other words, you are not a Christian. You are not saved. You don't have Christ as your Savior. And so you're dead in your sins. And so I pray that your body drops over. Or maybe you are a believer here and you're far from the Lord. You've not been walking with the Lord. And we prayed that prayer and God answered that. Would we need to call an ambulance for you? Like how many of you would be breathing heavy or maybe you're, you're about to have a heart attack? Or In other words, what's the state of your soul? I think for many of you, and I do believe this is the case, that I think you would have a healthy body, right? Because you're walking with the Lord. And I, and I hope that's the case. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you walked in this room and you have no problems or no trials. It means that you're depending on the Lord. It means you're trusting in him. You're fleeing from your sin. You're enjoying Christ. You're digging in the word. You're paying attention right now. You're writing notes. You want to grow in Christ. You're praying that God would use you to faithfully serve him and the church. So the apostle John prayed for Gaius' physical health, but his greatest joy was what? It was his spiritual health. Look at verse three. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So verse 3 tells us here that gospel teachers came to Gaius' church that he was a member at. They They were probably sent by John to his church. Gaius didn't know these guys, but when these guys came back, when these gospel workers came back to John's church and they stood up in front of the church, they said, I want you guys to know this guy we met. His name is Gaius. And Gaius loves the Lord. He's the real deal. He has a genuine walk with the Lord. He walks in the the truth. And when John heard that, when the apostle John heard that testimony, I mean, he's 80 years old maybe higher than that, maybe older than that, but he hit the ceiling. Like he was overjoyed. Now, why was he overjoyed? Because it's his greatest joy is to hear that his children walk in truth. He cared about the souls of other people. And friends, this is why, this is why John the apostle was in ministry. Why are you in your 80s or maybe even older than that doing this as the Apostle John serving in a church? Because you love souls and you want to see them know Christ and grow in Christ. This is why a person serves, should serve in gospel ministry. This is why your elders, when we met this past week, we, we prayed for you. Because we're pay- praying, yes, for some of you who are sick and have some difficulties, but we're praying for your souls. 
This is why your Sunday class teachers spend hours, or I should say spent hours this week, studying so they can teach you. It's not because they love standing up in front of you and talking. It's because they care about your soul. So this was his great desire. Now, one question we might ask is, who was this Gaius guy? Was he an elder in the church? Was he a deacon in the church? Maybe he was a church member. Well, he definitely was a church member. But, but what, who was he? Well, the truth is, the text doesn't tell us. And I think that's on purpose. Because I think this, this passage of Scripture, therefore, then applies to all of us. This isn't written for the elders. This isn't written for the deacons. This is written for every one of us in this room. Gaius' testimony was, was one of a man who walked with God. It was very special to, to John because it's very likely John was the one that led him to Christ. You can see that where he says that he has no greater joy than his children walk in truth. It could be that he actually led him to Christ, or it could be that he just had an extensive discipleship relationship with him. But can you imagine if he actually was able to lead Gaius to Christ? I mean, think about that. Think about hearing the gospel from the lips of the apostle John. Wouldn't that be pretty remarkable? I can imagine that Gaius would have been sitting maybe in a service like this, and he heard the apostle John speaking, and Gaius, of course, like all of us, was in his sin and far from God. All of us at one point in our life have been far from God. But then God reached down by his grace and saved us. And so I can imagine here as Guy is listening to John and, and he doesn't know the Lord, doesn't trust the Lord, but he hears John give a personal witness about this man who's the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And I can imagine John would recount how he was by the Sea of Galilee. He was an old fish, he was a young fisherman serving with his brothers and his dad. This man, Jesus, got up and he preached. And he preached that we're sinners and that we deserve God's wrath, but he had come to save. He was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And John would have been able to testify that Jesus lived a holy life. Because he ended up following Jesus, and he lived each day with Jesus. He, he slept in the same room with Jesus. He walked in the same row with Jesus. He saw when Jesus would have been tempted to be annoyed. He, he saw when Jesus would have been tempted to be angry, but he saw Jesus who always pleased his Father. And then he would witness the fact that he saw Jesus go to that cross and suffer. John saw Jesus on that cross as Jesus suffered and absorbed God's wrath and atoned for his sin. John would have been able to witness that they took that body down and they put that body in a tomb. Three days later, John was the first one there. He ran there within the tomb and he saw that Jesus' body was not there because he had risen. And John would have been able to testify that he saw Jesus ascend to heaven. And he's now at the Father's right hand, and John would have opened the invitation and said, if you believe in Jesus, that he's the one who can forgive your sins, that he's the Lord, and you submit to him, then you can be saved. And Gaius came to Christ. He heard and he believed the truth of the gospel. Friend, if you're in here today, 
and you have not believed, and you're not believing in the truth of the gospel, this is God's invitation to you. I'm Pastor Ben. I did not see Jesus live and die and rise again, but I can read about one who did, and that's the Apostle John. The word of God is true, and the Bible says these things are written so that you might believe in Jesus Christ. And so I invite you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, and God promises if you believe in him, he will save you. Gaius was saved, a child of God, and he walked with God. In fact, notice verse 3, the brothers came and they testified to your truth. Now, I want to point this out because in our 21st century postmodern view of truth, someone might grab this and say, oh, look at that right there. See, you have your truth and I have my truth and your truth can be different than my truth. And this was not the Apostle John saying, Gaius has his truth and I have my truth. And then, of course, there's those who worship Zeus and they have their truth. It's not what he's talking about. This is not truth defined by you, but he's talking about ownership. This is truth owned by you. It's yours. You've, you've taken it, received it as your truth. John was saying that Gaius had personalized the truth of God. He owned it for himself. I think this is so important for those of you that have grown up in a Christian home, for those of you who are children or young people in this room, and your parents have faith in the Lord, and they've personalized the truth, and you've seen us do that, you need to personalize the truth for yourself. And that's what he's saying. You took it and you said, this is, this is mine. Jesus is my Savior. I trust in him. And can I just encourage you, encourage you if you're a child or a teenager in this room, it's so important for you to, to take the truth of God's word and personalize it for yourself. Go into your room, close the door, get on your knees by yourself, get your Bible open, pray to God. Read God's word and believe it for yourself. That's what Gaius did. He owned the truth for himself. And notice what this truth was, this truth he was referring to in verse 3. He says, the end, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Notice verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The truth here was the truth of God's word. To walk in the truth means you're walking down the path following Jesus Christ. You're trusting his work. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. To walk in the truth of God's word, God's word means that you are reading God's word. It means you're believing God's word. You're obeying God's word. You're living God's word. It means that you're your feet are walking on the firm ground of the scriptures. It means you are stepping each day in faith that God's word is true. It's inerrant. It's authoritative over your life. It means you're shining the word of God's light on your path so that every decision you make is guided by the word of God. To walk in the truth means you're walking down the narrow path in obedience to the Holy Spirit. 
You're staying away from the ditch of lust on the left, and you're not turning down the pride of path on the right. And Gaius was walking in the truth. And so here's the question all of us need to ask if we truly want to be partners in the gospel, and that is, are you walking in the truth? What is the condition of your soul? And then to have a testimony of a gospel partner, you must walk with God in the truth. And then second, our second point is you must work for God to support the truth. You must work for God to support the truth. Remember, verses 1 through 4 enable verses 5 through 8. In other words, your walk with God, your relationship with God results in work for God. And so as we go through verses 5 through 8, don't divorce it from those, those previous verses. Remember that it leads to your relationship with God leads to your work for God. In fact, you can remember that in verse 11. He says, whoever does good, that's this verses 5 through 8, is from God. That's verses 1 through 4. And so what did Gaius do? Well, he was a man who was hospitable. He was a gospel partner with those who were gospel workers. Look at verse 5. Notice his work for God to support the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do. So he was a faithful man. I was talking with a group of pastors this past week, and one of the pastors said something I think that was very helpful. He said, we live in a day when there's so many options in our life and so many things we could possibly do and and so many people get up in the morning and just think of like all the things they can add to their life to make them to make their day a better day or maybe to to if they gained this they'd be a better person and he said you know guys what God has called you as pastors and each of our church members to do and to be is faithful it's getting up in the morning and it's doing what God wants you to do that day. And here's Gaius. He was a man who was faithful. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do. Notice that word do. That's the same word we found there in verse 11. Do is a present tense. This was something that was a regular habit of Gaius. And what was it that he did? Well, he observed the needs of those in gospel ministry. He observed the needs of those in the church. And then he sought to meet those needs. This was a way of life for him. Gaius didn't need to be pressured. He didn't need to be asked. He volunteered. He stepped forward. He saw a need. He met the need. And he says, it's a faithful thing you do in all your, and notice that next word, in all your efforts for these brothers. This word efforts is the word for labor. It's, it's the word for going into the fields and harvesting the crop. And when you do that, think of the sweat, think of the toil, think of the strain, think of the difficulty. So here's a word that describes our partnership in the gospel. It's not just throwing a few bucks at someone. It's saying, I'm going to sacrifice for the good of the gospel. This was the word used by Jesus when people were criticizing him and saying, you can't can't do good things on the Sabbath. You can't heal someone. John 5, 17, Jesus said, my father is working 
And now I am also working. I'm also laboring. He was saying that my father hasn't stopped working and I'm not going to stop either. And yes, it's good for Jesus and it was good for Jesus to take a break and rest and go to a mountain and pray and get away. And so that's a helpful thing. But Jesus didn't stop ministering on this earth. He kept going each day. He was on mission to serve his father. Jesus said in John 20, 21, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. In other words, all of us are to be on mission to follow the example of Jesus and faithfully work to partner in the gospel. This word effort in verse 5, I think, informs us that the hospitality supporting the ministry is work. It's a lot of effort. I think this can apply to our church right here as each one of you comes each week and there's people who do the coffee and there's some doing the nursery right now and there's, there's those volunteering in the, in the children's church and there's those guys back here doing the, the sound and there's people that are doing things behind the scenes and you need those people to support the ministry. I think this can apply to partnering with the church as we train gospel workers and send them out. This definitely applies with our missionaries as we support them financially and as we seek to support them in other ways as well, try to meet their needs. But partnering in the gospel in those ways means that you're willing to inconvenience yourself for the good of others and for the church, which means there's times when you're going to miss your favorite game. There's going to be nights when you're not going to get the rest that you desire. It might be that you're the only one doing it. You find yourself in a room and you're saying, where's everybody at? Well, why am I here? Not so people will clap for me, but because I'm here to serve the Lord. And you realize your life is about serving Christ and serving his bride. And I, I say this, and I want to also recognize and commend you as a church, because I look around and I see you doing this for each other. I see people who are regularly serving the church and they're here. I mean, I live right here, right? So I see this. I see people coming over here and serving. And I know you're not doing it for that reason. You're not doing it so I can see you. But I see you going out of your way to serve the church. Many of you make an effort to get to know new people. And we have someone maybe that's new in the church and you're walking over to them. You're talking to them. That's a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? They're in some sense a stranger to you, but you're going to reach out to them and love them and invite them into your life. Some of you have invited people to your house. I know some of you have, have gone out to coffee with some people in the church and prayed with them and, and read scripture together. This next year, we are looking at our missionaries and we have, as elders, have uh, are considering and have also made some plans to raise the support of some of our missionaries. But one of the, one of the, significant, I guess, gaps we've seen, I've seen in the missionary at our church is that we really don't have a great connection between our missionaries and you all. In other words, I, I read the letters, and if you get the newsletters and stuff, you get that, but, but I love to see at our church, I love to have a group of people come together who are focused on communicating with our missionaries, who help support our office to be able to, to do that. I mean, we do that, but you can step in and do that to help communicate to our church, here's the needs of our missionaries, here's how things are going in the lives of our missionaries. 
And so if you uh, would be interested in that, 2023, I'm praying that God would let us put a team of people together who could serve gospel workers in this way. But, but this text is telling us to stay on mission. So look at verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing for is a thing, faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. Notice the motivation and the manner in which he served them. It was love. It was love. He didn't know these people, but he knew they were gospel workers. Again, probably sent by the apostle John. So he didn't know them, but he was going to love them. Why? Again, why did he love them? Because God had loved Gaius, and so God, or so Gaius was going to love God's people. Those gospel workers, again, they came to the Apostle John's church. Again, he says this, and they testified. I mean, think about what Gaius did. Gaius, guys, you wouldn't even believe this guy named Gaius. He opened up his house to us. He let us eat food out of his refrigerator. I guess they didn't have refrigerators then. He let us sleep in his bed. Like, he was truly hospitable. And he even sent us on our way and financially helped us out. Verse 6, the middle of verse 6. They testified to your love before the church, and you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. I think verses 7 here and 6, 7, and 8 identify who these gospel workers were. In fact, you can notice in these verses that there's a distinction. There's those who are the sent ones, and there are the senders. There are gospel workers who do that full time, and there are gospel partners. And I think it's important to see this distinction because it will help us to see what are the responsibilities of gospel workers and what are our responsibilities as, as gospel partners. And so let's take a moment just to identify who these gospel workers were. Number one, and I'm just going to list five different characteristics of these gospel workers, which I think will help us understand who are these people, who are the type of people we're to show hospitality in this way too. Number one, they were Christians. You can see that in verse five. They were brothers. And there's a, a special command I think we're to have, or the scripture has for us to love the brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, Jesus says, here's my command for you that you do what? That you love one another. And so the mark of Christianity and of the church should be that we love each other. And so I, I guess you could say it this way, hospitality for gospel workers has to start at home, right? It means that we love each other. That means we're opening our own homes to each other, in our own lives. First Peter 4, 8 and 9 says, be hospitable to one another. And I love the next phrase, without complaint. <laughs> I think that's a necessary part of that. And so they were Christians. They were also strangers sent by a local church. Kind of an odd way to say it, but they were strangers. In other words, they didn't know them, verse 5, strangers as they are. But notice verse 6, who testified to your love before the church. So, so Gaius, Gaius didn't know them, 
but they were endorsed by the Apostle John, and I think under the authority, therefore, of John and the church there. So they're strangers, and they were sent by a local church. Number three, they were gospel workers who went to plant local churches or to build up local churches. So there are these gospel workers who go to plant local churches or build up local churches. We might call them today missionaries or traveling evangelists or church planters. You can see that in verse number seven. It says in verse seven, for they have gone out for the sake of his name. The name is a reference to the name of Jesus Christ, that he is Lord. And the name is a reference to his authority. He has the authority to save souls and establish local congregations, local churches. And so for the sake of his name identifies their mission. They went out for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. They went out to glorify him by proclaiming the name of Christ and establishing local churches in the name of Christ. Now, I don't have time to do this, that this mor- to study this this morning, but if you were to study the idea of the name of Christ, what you'll see is it's centered around the local church. Paul in Acts chapter 1 says that he went out to preach the gospel to the Gentiles for the sake of his name. Well, what's Paul doing? He's establishing, establishing local churches. Those in the New Testament who went out for the sake of the name were those who went out to plant or to build up local churches. In fact, if you were to go through 1 Corinthians and were to study the name, which is something we're studying, the book of 1 Corinthians, if you were to study the name, what you'll see is that in chapter 1, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians, the church is made up of those who are called, who have called upon the name of the Lord. In verse 13 of chapter 1, The church is made up of those who are baptized in the name of Jesus. In verse uh, 10 of chapter 1, they are united by the name of Jesus, and they have faithfully assembled in the name of Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 5, 13. And so we as a church are a church who who gather, who, who meet in the name of Jesus. We've all, as believers, been called Upon, have called upon the name of Jesus. We've all been baptized in the name of Jesus, and we gather for the sake of his name. And then there are those who go out to plant churches and to build up churches, and they do it for the sake of his name. And so that's, that's what, this is one reason why I believe that the primary place for our giving to Gospel ministry should be through the local church. It should be to and through the local church because this is the bride of Christ. Christ died for his bride, and we are to love his bride, and we gather for the sake of his name, and we go out to plant churches for the sake of his name. So number three, they were gospel workers who went out to plant local churches or build up local churches. Number four, their job was either to preach the truth or to support the preaching of the truth. So they either went out to preach the truth, that's Paul and Barnabas, or they supported those who did, like Priscilla and Aquila. And number five, they were supported by the church. They were supported by the church. You can see that in verse seven. Accepting nothing from the Gentiles. In other words, they depended 
on the sacrificial giving of God's people in the local church. So you could wrap it up like this. These people were those appointed by the church and sent out to teach the truth so they could start and sustain local churches. And so we are to partner with those type of people in the ministry. And and how do we partner with them and how do we treat them? Well, notice verse number seven. Verse number six. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. What does that mean right there, in a manner worthy of God? It means that we recognize that they represent God. They're his messengers. They're proclaiming his good news. And therefore, we treat them in a manner that is worthy of such a role. I want you to imagine a king sends his son or an ambassador to another nation and that son or that ambassador is going to represent him, how would they receive that one? Well, they would receive him in a manner worthy of the king that's sending him. That's how we are to receive God's gospel workers. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 says, whoever receives you, that are the disciples who are going out with the gospel, receives me, speaking of Jesus. And whoever receives me, that's Jesus, receives him who sent me, that's God the Father. So when you show love to gospel workers, you're showing love to Jesus and to God the Father. Notice verse number eight. He says, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So who are the the gospel partners? You have the gospel workers who go out with the gospel. Who are the gospel partners? Well, notice at the end of verse 8, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Who does that we include? I think it's very interesting that it includes the Apostle John. Really? (laughs) You're still supporting gospel partners? And you're an apostle. Do you really need to do that? That's for every one of us. It's for elders. It's for deacons. It's for children. It's it's for everyone in this church. We are all to do that. That's why I think it's so important. I tell the guys that are going into ministry, like, you need to be giving to the church. Like, it's not just because you, quote, unquote, work for the church doesn't mean it's theirs to give. Like, we should all be a part of this. Notice what he says. The result is when you support gospel workers. Verse 8, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. When you walk with God in the truth and work to support the truth, you are a fellow worker. You are a gospel partner. And it's like you're serving side by side with that person. When the Shunammite woman opened up her home to Elisha, she partnered with him in the gospel. So that way, when he went out, it was like she was going with him. That food in his belly was like her going with him as he ministered to the people. 
when Mary and Martha served Jesus, they partnered in making the gospel possible. Think about that. In Acts, many sold their lands and gave money to the church, and they were partners in the gospel with those churches. The church of Philippi was very, very poor, yet they gave, even though the Apostle Paul said he didn't want them to, they still gave and they partnered with him in the gospel. So church, do you realize when you support gospel workers, you're partnering with them in the gospel? When you give to the missions of this church, it's like you give to Brent Wright, who is over in Africa, and when he's flying on that plane, it's like you're flying there with him. When, when you give to support the Community Pregnancy Center, it's like you're standing next to those volunteers who are saving lives and telling the gospel so souls can be saved. When you give to Connect to Ministries, it's like you're, you're helping to feed those kids in Haiti and tell them about Christ. In April, we have a missions trip, and we're going to have some in here. Hopefully, many of you in here will want to go on the missions trip with us to Honduras, and to, we'll actually go into Nicaragua at one point as well. And so I hope many of you will come, so you're invited, okay? But some of you are not going to be able to come. But if you give to help support those people, you're coming with us. Maybe not in person, but as you give, you're supporting those people in the gospel. I think it's our privilege that we live near a seminary, that we are able to have men who are studying for the ministry. And I, and I, I think it's difficult sometimes for this area we live in and that it's very transient. So sometimes people can get over, I guess, worked, you know. But I think you see some of these guys that are coming through here. Do you know if you invest in some of these guys and they go out and they plant churches or they go out and minister in churches, you know you're going to go with them the rest of your life. This past week, I talked to Paul Patingo on the phone. You remember Paul? Can't really forget him. He was with us for three years. There's a lot of time put into Paul, and he put a lot of time in here. But you know what? We're still with him. And that, that's the point, is that we invest in, in the gospel work, and it's like we are serving alongside of those people. Each Sunday and each week, we have opportunities to partner in the gospel in this local church. And so the question for us is, what is your testimony in regard to being a gospel partner? If we were to put your heart up here on the witness stand, would your heart testify that you're one who walks in the truth? If we were to put up your hospitality on the witness stand, would your hospitality, would your hands and your life testify that you're one who works for God in supporting the truth. We are to have this testimony of being gospel partners, which means we walk with God in the truth and work for God to support the truth. Now, you might be in here today, and you think, ah, that pastor, he just likes to talk about money, doesn't he? Well, let me tell you a couple things. First of all, I was assigned this by a class I'm taking. So that's why we're in 3 John. So I didn't pick this passage. Second, this is what this passage teaches. You know what's interesting about it is this passage says that we are not to take anything from the Gentiles. So if you're an unbeliever in here today, we don't want your money. And I'm serious about that. I mean, the overwhelming surveys in our country say that most people think that church is after their money. And I just got a message for you. Lighthouse does not care about your money. In fact, God doesn't care about your money. 
God cares about your heart. So if you're without Jesus Christ, what you need to do is give up the most valuable thing, and that is your own life to him. And Christians, as, as ones who have given our hearts and lives to Christ, where our treasure is, there our heart is also. In other words, show me what you spend your money on, show me what you spend your time on, and I'll show you what you love. What God's calling us to do today is say to love him, love God, and because we love him, to love his church. And so maybe we should consider how, how are we supporting gospel ministry? I mean, first of all, we should pray for our missionaries. We should pray for those who are, who are ministering in the gospel. I think that's probably one of the most important things we can do. And then we need to consider how can we show hospitality? How can we give up maybe something that's precious to us for the glory of God and for the good of the church? Let's pray.